Welcome, everyone. How are you doing tonight? How are we doing tonight? Amen. It is amazing, amazing to be with you today, tonight, to hang out with the Lord, to worship Him. So we're super, super glad. Those of y'all that this is your first time, welcome, welcome to Chi Alpha. If you notice kind of what we did, we just kind of stood up and shook a bunch of hands, hung out. Well, that's kind of what we're all about. It's difficult. The kind of culture that we have sometimes is it's just difficult to peel us away from one another sometimes. And that's the best way we want to be. I would not have it literally any any other way. So we're just thrilled. We're thrilled to be back on campus. Are y'all like glad that we're actually back on campus? Amen. We are super excited about that. We're back in our old room. So we've met in this room probably, I mean, for years and years and years. First of all, let me introduce myself. My name is Daniel Young. I am the, the director of Chi Alpha here at UTRGV. And uh, we've been here for about nine, a little over nine years. And so many of these, many of our large group gatherings just like this have been in this science room whenever it's available. So we're going to hope and pray that we keep getting access to this room. Because, I mean, we've even got chalk there on the board behind those whiteboards on the chalk. It says, like, Chi Alpha here. And we literally wrote it eight years ago. And it's never been erased. So kind of cool. So we kind of we kind of feel like the Lord's given us this room. And we're very blessed to have it. But we welcome you. We thank you. If you're kind of wondering what is Chi Alpha all about, we love Jesus. That's what we are all about. We want to worship Jesus. We want to lift his name up. And what we love to do in Chi Alpha is to hang out in small groups. How many of you are in a small group? Okay, amen. If you're wondering, like, hey, how do I get involved in Chi Alpha? How do I join? What do I sign? I'm giving you good news. You sign nothing. You, there's no forms you have to sign. All you got to do is join a small group. So if you're not in a small group, please, please, please ask around. Figure out a small group leader that you can meet in their schedule. And small group is the best thing that will ever happen to you in your entire life. Amen? So we are stoked about that. Today, we're going to start in a very familiar verse in John chapter 3 in verse 16. Many of you may know this verse by heart. This is kind of the verse that, that believers and non-believers memorize. It's a verse that is extremely commonly quoted in the scriptures. We're going to dive a little bit deeper, and we're going to explore a little bit around this verse because there's a whole lot of meaning in John chapter 3 that if you're not if you're not paying attention you can miss some very very deep meaning. So, let's read John 3:16. The Bible says this, "For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life." Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us through your word. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us wisdom. Open our hearts, open our ears and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Again, my name is Daniel Young. It's great to be here and be back. I've been, this is the best job in the world. And I absolutely love seeing Jesus transform your lives and my life as we grow with God together. I've got a picture of my beautiful family on the screen here. 
This, I like that there was an applause to that. That makes me happy because family is beautiful. That is my wife, Jessica, and my baby, little baby Bethany is her name. They're actually in the very back right there in the back. Wave. Hi. Bethany's waving with her toes. She's just kind of there waving with her little toesies. But that is my family, and we've, we've been here for quite a long time, and we're blessed. So something that was funny when we moved here, so what we did, we were all, my, my wife and I, and, then, and some of our friends that are still here that haven't left, uh, we are, were a Chi Alpha alumni at Sam Houston State University, and then God called us to plant a Chi Alpha in a new place that did not have Chi Alpha. So what the Lord did is beautiful. They called us out of our home. We left family, we left friends, and we moved down here to the Rio Grande Valley. As we were moving things up and down through the checkpoint, the Border Patrol asked us, what, what are y'all, what's all this stuff for? And like, well, we're moving down to the valley. And they go, you're moving down to the valley? Why? <laughs> they said that, and I was like, well, because God's going to move. And this is a beautiful place. Why did I move the Rio Grande Valley? Because I love Jesus, and I believe that God is going to do something absolutely spectacular in the Rio Grande Valley. He's already started. And we're going to be asking you guys to come along with us and watch God do an amazing thing in the valley. There's a second reason why I came to the valley. That reason is that I wish I was a Mexican. I love, love Mexicans, and I love Mexican culture. I love Mexican food. All through my life growing up and growing up in church, we went on mission trips to Mexico every single year, and it was the absolute time of my life. I'm still working on Spanish, forgive me, but we, I absolutely love it. There's also another thing I can claim, because I was discipled by a Mexican, the guy that trained me in everything that I know, the guy that basically taught me all of the knowledge that I repeat literally to you, you'll hear me say a lot of stuff, I'm telling you right now, very little of it is original. I love to quote men and women of God that are wiser than me, smarter than me, and I hope you do too, okay? But this, so I just want to tell you a story, a little bit about me. When you get into Chi Alpha, this is our prayer. Our prayer is that you encounter a friend and a friendship builds in that relationship that changes your life. That's our vision for small group. We're not talking about cute little Bible studies here where you sit around a campfire, you sing Kumbaya, you don't talk about anything deep or something into, deep into the ground that matters to your life, and then you just kind of leave, and like, oh, that was kind of nice, shallow conversation. That's not what small group is. Small group, what small group is in Chi Alpha and what it has been is you join a group, and they are a group of people that become your absolute best friends. They become really a second family for you, another spiritual family in your life. We see many of these small groups Whenever you go to get married, many of these small group, the people in your small group, they are groomsmen's and bridesmaids in your weddings. And we've already seen that happen. There's nothing like the power of Christian fellowship. There's nothing like it. 
and it will absolutely change your life getting involved in Christian fellowship. So God can do amazing things through meeting a new person, through meeting a friend. And my life changed when I met this Mexican in Houston when I met him for the very first time. Let me tell you, now, don't be confused. I happen to share the same name as this man. His name is also Daniel, okay? And I met Daniel, and he lives in, like, downtown Houston, and he's got this little cute house in this very, very old neighborhood where all the Mexicans love each other, know each other. That's where he lives, and it's beautiful. Everyone on the street knew his mother's name and knew the type of lady she was. She was a woman who feared God and served the Lord. And there are stories about that that I'll have to say for another time. But when I met Daniel, my life absolutely completely changed. I walked into his house, and you can kind of see in the left picture, that's what his house looks like. And other rooms in his house, he's got ceiling to floor lined with books. Now, let me tell you, these aren't just any books. These are books that people like us in Chi Alpha freak out about. Okay, these are old heroes of the faith, like C.S. Lewis, like G. Campbell Morgan, like E. Stanley Jones, like A.W. Tozer, like Watchman Nee, right? Andrew Murray, like all these authors, the people that have read them have dived into spiritual knowledge and depth that you'd never understand until you actually pick up those books and read them. Some of you might be sitting here, Daniel, I'm not a reader. Anybody like that? I'm not a reader. You cannot convince me to read. And all I have to say is, so was I. I was not a reader at all. I hated reading. I just wanted to go outside and play with the guys. I wanted to go hang. I wanted to have fun. I don't want to sit in a room on a couch being bored. Ugh. I don't want to do that. That was me. What I learned is that it's not about the fact that you're reading. It's what you are reading. And I found, this is what my friend Daniel taught me with, when I'm staring in his room, okay, you walk in and it's like this, you, it's like you just left the world of the insane and you step through the wardrobe into Narnia and all of a sudden everything makes sense. That's what it was like hanging out with him. And we would hang out and he'd say, hey, my name's Daniel, it's nice to meet you. I'm an eighth grade dropout. That's how he introduced himself. Hi, my name's Daniel. Nice to meet you. I'm an eighth grade dropout. And you're like, what? When it's actually true. He grew up in the, during the Jesus movement in the 70s, and he never, he tried to pass the eighth grade three times. He never passed. He gave his life to Jesus at the age 15, and God has used him as a missionary all over the world in every country on earth, and he's provided and provided and provided every step of the way. Those of you that are in the church and might know he might know these names. He got to serve with guys like David Wilkerson, and and uh, even was involved with uh, Keith Green and worship and stuff like that. This guy lived a remarkable life, but this is why he's amazing. Is because this man understands and understood when when I was there learning from him what it meant to have a mind in love with God. He had a Spanish dictionary and an English dictionary as he was reading A.W. Tozer, and he would look up every single word he didn't understand because he was hungry for God. I get to his house. This man, not educated. He also had no money. I grew up very comfortable middle class, right? And I've got all these 
these like complaints about my life. And then I go and visit Daniel in his house. He has less money than me. He has less, you know, uh, you know, whatever education. But when I showed up there, he was more spiritually wealthy than any man I've ever met in my entire life. This man walked with God. Basically, if you're having trouble understanding, this is like Yoda and Gandalf and Dumbledore crammed into one person. Okay? He, and so, I, and this is what I realized when I hung out with him. This is what I realized is that all these pastors and Sunday school teachers that I grew up with, all of these spiritual teachers that I learned from growing up, I recognized that they were peop, men and women that read about Jesus, but this guy talked about Jesus like he actually knew him. He didn't just read about him. He walked with Jesus. He walked in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and there's a big difference. Like I said, he had ceiling to floor. There were books all over his room. We would hang out in his little garden where we had this beautiful fountain in his backyard. And guys, this is where my spiritual inheritance began. This is where I started to fall in love with Jesus in a whole new way. Another thing that would happen when you visit Daniel's house is that he would ask you lots of very great thought-provoking questions. One question that he would ask Dane and I, by, by the way, if you don't know Dane, I hope you get to know him soon. We've got a Chi Alpha in Brownsville right now. And guess what? They're having their large group gathering at the same time with us right now. Amen. So that's pretty cool. We've got, so this was a Chi Alpha that was born here in this room and they've left, moved to Brownsville and planted Chi Alpha in Brownsville at our sister campus. That's pretty rad. Amen. So, Dane and I are childhood friends. We're hanging out at Daniel's, and he asks us this question. What do you think, who, or let, let me say it this way, whose happiness is more valuable? He's looking at me. Whose happiness is more valuable, yours or Dane's? And, of course, because we were like high school guys, we answered very stupidly. So I want to ask you, Chi Alpha, I want you to think about this. Answer honestly. Whose happiness is more valuable, yours or the person that's sitting next to you. Whose happiness? Okay, if you think, I'm going to do this the way Daniel did with us, so you're not getting off the hook, okay? If you think, truthfully, your happiness is more valuable in truth than the person sitting next to you, your happiness more valuable than the person sitting next to you, raise your hand. Like, I'm just going to be honest, Daniel, I think that's true. Come on, honest people. Let's go. Raise your hands high. Okay. We got some people. We got some people raising their hands. Gosh, y'all are so selfish. I can't believe you. Wow. You think your happiness is more valuable than another person? You're so selfish. Gosh. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you think the person sitting next to you, their happiness is more valuable than yours. Raise your hand. You think that's true? Man, all you bunch of liars. No one believes that, man. No, whatever. If, some, if, if you have to choose, am I going to get hit by a train or this other person get hit by a train? You're going to choose that other person. Don't lie to me. Now, <laughs> the purpose of this is a thought-provoking question. What does the Bible teach? Okay, now, let me give you a little hint. It actually is kind of a trick question. Okay, whose happiness is more valuable, 
is most valuable in all the universe? Whose happiness is more valuable? What do you think? Anyone want to shout out an answer? Whose happiness is most valuable in the universe? All right, y'all are catching my drift here. The most valuable person in the universe is the eternal person, Jesus. The most valuable person in the universe is the eternal person. It's God Almighty. His, he's Lord, you see. This is what Christianity holds. This is what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is Lord. His happiness is more valuable. Now, let me ask you this question. Does God want you to be happy? Does God want you to be happy? Who, raise your hand if you say, yes, I think God wants us to be happy. Okay, who else, who, who says, I don't think God cares if I'm happy or not? Raise your hand. It's okay. This is, yeah, I don't, I don't think God cares. Okay, all right. Thank you for your participation. <laughs> this is what Daniel starts teaching us. The, if the Bible is true, and I personally, I believe emphatically that it is, that means that the most valuable person in the universe is Jesus, who is resurrected and eternal. He's never-ending. He's the Savior of the world. And God, who creates the universe, his happiness is most valuable. Does God desire his people to be happy? Well, we see how Jesus lives, and we read this verse. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's an unselfish choosing. He gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There's something underneath the soil there. And yes, it's true, God wants you to be happy, but many times the problem that we in our generation face is we're chasing after the wrong thing. It is my observation is this. When you desperately search and run after happiness like it is the highest goal in your life it's never going to work it's never going to work you'll make yourself miserable because because chasing happiness doesn't magically make you unselfish and the secret to happiness is not trying to be happy did you know that because it's true and it's actually really gnarly. The secret to happiness is not trying to be happy because trying to be happy only kind of shirks responsibility off of yourself and it doesn't magically make you more unselfish. It doesn't magically make you godlier. It doesn't magically give you peace when you just are simply trying to be happy. But what the scriptures say and what the Bible teaches is that when you pursue God, when you pursue the Lord himself, when you work on holiness rather than happiness, what you get is happiness comes along with it. When you pursue Jesus, when you pursue a walk with God, what we call in the church holiness, what we call righteousness, you get happiness as a byproduct, but not as a prime product. God cares much more than your just mere happiness. That's what I'm saying to you tonight. He cares much more than just your mere happiness. What God is after is to show you your purpose, why you are here on this earth. I want to tell you tonight 
a truth. And that is this. You will eventually become like the people you hang out with. It's true. I Show me the people you hang out with, and I will tell you exactly the person you will be 10 years from now. You will become like the per- people that you hang out with. Here's another way of saying that. And this is what we also say in Chi Alpha, that you eventually will become what you worship. You will slowly transform into the thing you love most. If, you, if your idea of God is that he is a cruel, angry dictator, you will become a cruel, angry dictator. You will look at the rest of the world like it's beneath you, and you will treat everyone as though that's true, that you are in fact greater and better, and you will become cynical and cruel because that's what you think God is like. You will, you will actually eventually become like the thing that you worship. This is why in Chi Alpha we are passionate and deeply interested in knowing the God of the Bible, who God actually is, what he's actually like, what he's really like. E. Stanley Jones says that Jesus puts a face on God. If you want to know what God is actually like, look at Jesus. He'll show you precisely what God is like. Now, in John chapter 3, we read something interesting. We read the most quoted verse probably in the Bible, but what you might not know is that there's a lot going on in this chapter. This is a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the college professor or the dean of the university who knows all the stuff. He knows all the Bible quizzes. If you ask him any spiritual religious question, the Pharisee is going to know how to answer that question. But something remarkable happens because this Pharisee, Nicodemus, is interested in who Jesus is. Now, Jesus is not a Pharisee. He is a high school dropout. He's a carpenter that works in his father's shop. Jesus is not a celebrity. He's not interested in things like money. He's poor. And so do you imagine what's going on? This teacher of the law, Nicodemus, he hears about the work and the ministry that Jesus is doing. He goes, okay, I'm interested. I want to find out more about this Jesus. Who is he? So he requests special access and conversation with Jesus. True story. This is all in John chapter 3. Nicodemus has to meet Jesus under cover of darkness because he cannot be seen with Jesus or his colleagues, his professors, the other Pharisees that hold him in high esteem. He will instantly lose credibility. He'll be instantly deeply punished. He'll be called a heretic. He'll lose his entire life, not just his job. He loses everything. So he meets Jesus in private because he doesn't want to be seen. Guys, you understand this is like a college professor walking and finding a a college dropout with no degree who works at the auto zone and asks, hey, what's the meaning of life? That's what this is like. This is a Pharisee of the highest intellect who has memorized the entire Old Testament, who knows scriptures backwards and forwards, and he has this conversation with Jesus, but Jesus is the one who's teaching him. You see, he encountered someone that changed his life forever. He met a new friend by risking his career and his life by meeting Jesus, and it changed his life forever. 
This is where you see Jesus in John 3 say some staggering, unforgettable things. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> Nicodemus is like, how? He says this, how can a person go back inside their mother? And Jesus goes, are you kidding me? Nicodemus, bro. You're a teacher of the law, and you still don't understand these things? And Jesus says, those who are born of the Spirit will be people by the Spirit. Okay? People born of the flesh live by the flesh. But people born of the Spirit live by the Spirit. You know, I can imagine Nicodemus a little bit embarrassed. I mean, he's the guy who, who's kind of like, look, like, people don't think I know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do. Okay? Because he's just meeting with Jesus and he's shamed, so to speak, because of Jesus' wisdom and knowledge. But there's something beautiful going on here because Nicodemus is hungry for the truth. He's asking Jesus these questions. And Jesus says, you must be born again. The central feature of what it means to be a Christian, you must be born again. Then Jesus says something absolutely staggering. And if you're not, if you've never been trained or never read into this or studied this, this will absolutely blow your mind. A lot of people see, know John 3.16. They can quote that verse, but not a lot of people can quote John 3.15, the verse right before it. And this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and he says this, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the book of Numbers. And you've got this wild story where in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, you have Israel that's constantly sinning against God. They're constantly turning their backs against him. And God, in order to create a godly nation and to discipline them rightly, he punishes them. And he sends out these venomous snakes. And these snakes are biting these people and they're getting poisoned. And like, ouch, that hurts. And, and there's basically this plague of snakes that are biting Israel. And, and so there's, they're, okay, God, we're so sorry we're, we've sinned. We're so sorry we turned our back against you. They repent of their sin. And this is what God instructs Moses. He says, Moses, take a bronze serpent, put it on a stick, and stick it in the ground. And lift this serpent as high as it can possibly go. And this is what God is, is asking. He's saying, if you look, just merely look at this snake, you will be healed of the poison that's inside of you. You will be absolutely healed. What is God getting at with this? What lesson is he trying to teach? A few, but one that I think strikes me as particularly important is, here's a question. Does God value your safety? Of course he does. He values your safety. But what God values much more important than your safety is that you learn to be brave and that you learn to trust him. That is 10 times more valuable. See, if God just makes you safe, this is what we ask God. Lord, level all the paths in front of me. Cut down all the trees. Remove every single pothole because I don't like difficulty. 
Lord, if you, this is what we say with our attitude. Lord, if you're real, remove all obstacles before me. Ensure that I'm going to be 100% perfectly safe, and then I'll be able to follow you. But you see what you're actually asking for? Do you see? What you're asking for is for God to abandon his purpose over you, which is to make you grow. To abandon that campaign and just to make things easy And so what happens if you're safe all the time and you're never challenged, you become a monster. You become an untrustworthy monster because you can't handle any pressure. You become what we call an emotional basket case because you can't handle anything. The moment a tiny feather of pressure lands on you, you freak out and you lose it. Why? Because you can't handle struggle. You can't handle obstacle. You can't go around the pothole. You can't cut down the tree, you see. But what God is teaching Israel, he's saying, guys, I I care about your safety, but what I care much more about is that you learn to trust me. You learn how to be brave. We need to be bold and brave about the character of God. Right? Here's another thing that God is teaching. God has a spectacular way of reverse engineering a symbol. When he says, Moses, lift up this serpent, lift up this snake into the sky, and everyone that looks upon that serpent, what he's saying, look, in a way he's saying, face the thing that's eating you. Face it. Stare at it. Look at that thing that's eating you, that's tearing your life apart. Stare at it square in the face. Don't run away from it. Don't abandon. Don't be a coward and say, oh, I guess God's not real because my life is hard. Don't say that. Stare at the thing in the face and deal with it. And what you happen when you're looking at that snake, Israel's getting a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more brave, and they're able to actually overcome their fears and stomp on the thing's heads. You see what I'm saying here? He wants you to be brave. And he's saying, look... You, and this is another vital lesson that God's teaching Israel. Don't miss this. He's saying, Israel, watch me. I will bring apart, I will bring out your salvation. You need to trust me for your salvation. I will bring it out. I will succeed in your salvation. Trust me. Look at this thing that's killing you. Stare at it, and it's going to heal you of the disease of the poison. He's saying, watch me, Israel how I can turn your fear into hope. Watch me, Israel, how I can turn a symbol of your death into a symbol of your salvation. See what I can do, God says. He can, compar- he can perfectly and completely reverse engineer a symbol. Thousands of years later, God sends his one and only son to earth And he lives, as the Bible says, a perfect, sinless life. And Jesus, in multiple times throughout the Gospels, he says this fascinating phrase. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If you lift me up. He says, so as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so I must be lifted up and I will draw all men unto me. What Jesus has done no other person in human history could ever dream about doing. He took the, the horrific, awful nightmare of the cross of Roman crucifixion, the most brutal way to be tortured and killed known to humankind, 
and he takes that symbol and God says, I'm going to reverse engineer that torture device. I'm going to flip it upside down. And God is saying to you, Chi Alpha, he's saying to you, UTRGV, STC, whatever college you might go to, or marketplace worker, whoever, everyone's welcome here, I don't care. I don't care where you're from. <laughs> he's saying, Rio Grande Valley, listen to me. Watch what I can do with a symbol of death. Watch me. Watch what I can do. And see, Jesus allows himself to be hung on this cross. He allows himself to be given over. He says, don't you understand? I could call a legion of angels right now to take me up off this cross, but he holds his tongue for you and for me. And he suffers and dies on a cross, and he turns this symbol of death into our salvation. This is the glory of Jesus. This is what he has accomplished. Amen? What does this God ask of you and me? Jesus has accomplished it all. What does he ask of you and me? Very simply, very easily, how do we accept this Son of God that's hanging on a cross? Very simple. Look. Look at him. See him. See him high and lifted up. See the glory of God hanging on a cross. The single most important question in the universe is, is Jesus Christ actually God? I'm here to tell you that that's true. We've tasted and seen that it's true. Right? Small group leaders, you've tasted and seen that Jesus is good, he's holy, he's real. The second most important question in the universe is if Jesus is the Son of God, what on earth is he doing on a cross? Why would God? allow such a thing. Friends, this is the journey that we want to take with you in Chi Alpha to explore that question, to find out who Jesus actually is and who he is to you and for you. He has reverse engineered by being high and lifted up He's, we, we lift him high up in our hearts and exalt him in adoration as king, but he was physically lifted up when he hung on the cross and he suffered and died for our sins, as the Bible teaches. How do you get to know this Jesus? Simply look and believe. Just look. What we want to do in Chi Alpha is we want to lift Jesus up in our hearts as high as he possibly can go and have no other gods in front of him because all those other gods just don't compare. They're just weak sauce compared to Jesus. They're pathetic and they ruin your life. They'll ruin you. If you worship the world or the things of the world, the world will turn you into a dog but Jesus will give you a true purpose of what you were born to be. When you walk 
into Jesus's presence. This is what we believe. It's almost like you're stepping out of the world of the insane and you step into Narnia. You step into a whole new thing, of some, a world of common sense, the land of milk and honey. You see, when you exalt Jesus in your life, you begin learning how to trust his plan over your broken agenda. When you exalt Jesus, you never complain about being lonely ever again because you know you can always call in the name of Jesus and he will keep you company. Hear me out here. I'm not saying you'll never struggle with stuff. But if, when you make the master, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, who is called the fountain that never runs dry, that means you can always go to him when you're thirsty and he'll fill you. That's what being friends with Jesus is like. When you exalt Jesus in your heart, you'll never be spiritually helpless again. But instead, the Holy Spirit will enter you and fill you with his power and boldness. When you exalt Jesus in your life, your life transforms to just surviving and it changes to boldly walking in faithfulness and obedience. When you exalt Jesus, you'll never struggle with personal identity ever again because you'll be more satisfied with what God has called you to be rather than what the world tries to convince you you are. God's happiness is more valuable because closeness to Jesus is what gives you a deeper thing. It's the word we call joy. You have real, true joy in Jesus. I'm going to ask everyone to stand tonight. We're going to close with this. Have you ever encountered the spirit of Jesus? In Chi Alpha, we love to press and to seek out the spirit of Jesus. You might be here and you might be thinking, Daniel, I barely know what you're talking about. I want to tell you that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly okay. The beauty of Chi Alpha Small Group is that it's a journey you get to go on with friends together. I mean it. Ask all the questions that maybe one or maybe a few people here might be thinking of counter arguments to everything I'm saying. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. Bring it to small group and ask good questions. But don't be cynical. Don't allow the devil to tempt you to be cynical. I mean it, search for the truth. Don't just try to show up to small group and justify how you feel. Search for what's true. Search for Jesus. And small group will walk with you. Your small group leader might not have all the questions, but we can do this together. Amen? And guys, I'm telling you right now, this semester is going to be a wild ride. We've seen God heal the sick. We've seen cancer totally gone, inexplicably. We've seen relationships that were on the brink of utter collapse be resurrected like it was nothing. We've seen 
people in Chi Alpha fall in love with each other and get married and have a family. And guys, that's a miracle. There's nothing like becoming a parent. My beautiful daughter's back there. I'm looking at her right now. Bethany. Some of you might be thinking, Daniel, I didn't have a Gandalf in my life like you did. This isn't fair. <laughs> okay? You're probably right. It might not be fair. But I want to warn you, do not covet what someone else has. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. What I'm telling you tonight, guys, is what you can have right now in an instant is the Son of God in your life. And that's what we want. Right now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to get back in the guitar. We're going to sing a song. We're going to worship one last time. And I want you to take this opportunity. If you just, if you know, like, man, I just want to worship Jesus, worship Jesus. As you learn the song, worship him. If you don't really know where you're at, I just want you to feel perfectly okay. You don't have to know where you're at. What I encourage you to do tonight is picture that cross. Just look at Jesus. Picture him in your mind. Look at him there and meditate and contemplate because when you see the Son of God and it starts to penetrate the hardness of the heart, he'll rescue you from what you think is impossible to be rescued from. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.